0: Болусь я
1: Welcome to episode 58 of the Dortmund Fan Club London podcast. Today with the Guardian's uh, deputy sports editor, Ed Ahrens, and We're going to talk about the new white paper that the government has introduced and to regulate the English game um, in a special two-part podcast, which will include a um, second part on football governance in Germany. Um, Ed, uh, apart from being a, um, a writer at the Guardian, which I read regularly, Is also a writer with BBC Sport and has written a a really wonderful book um, called Made in Africa, which was published by Arena uh, in 2020. And um, I don't know how successful it's been, but it's certainly a a very, very special book which illustrates the history of um, African players um, in the English game. Ed, um, welcome to the show. And um, how well has the book done so far? And it must have been an absolute joy writing it, right?
0: yeah absolutely thanks very much for your kind words it's so it's, uh, lovely to be here um yeah i mean it's done okay uh yeah it's not it's not been a bestseller but it's got a decent rating on amazon i think i'll take that <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean and uh it was an amazing uh, pleasure to write it actually really after you know looking back now a few years on it took me quite a few years to write it and um and, and it's you know something i'm very proud of uh, because it was it was a subject that hadn't really been covered very much beautiful past. so yeah i thought it was um it was something that that was needed in this sort of you know to join the uh, a lot of other books about some other histories that we that we have in football and um, it was a worthy uh, subject to join them i thought
1: totally totally and i mean we've all been inspired by great african or oh, afro-caribbean players in the uk for many many years um going back to i mean certainly my childhood people like um fashion new brothers and um and and also i mean of course later on then didier drogba for example and um you know what was your what you know are you allowed to say which club you support and was there a particular african player that inspired you
0: yeah well actually it's not um i'm a crystal palace fan and yes. um well it's not an african player but I, uh, ian wright was my hero when i was a kid yes. watching play locally but in terms of, of an african player it was probably it was it was i always think it was around the same sort of time um uh that got into football in 1990 in england played against cameroon in the in the quarterfinal of the world cup and that was a, an amazing team yeah just about scraped past them and got into the semi-final against germany obviously um, west germany as well but um yeah it was an amazing game and, and that's when i kind of fell in love with african football
1: Outstanding, and of course, some um, Palace are a very authentic club. um For any German listeners, they play at the Selhurst Park, and um they're quite well known for having uh, one of the well one of the most vociferous fan groups. They have an ultra section at Selhurst Park, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, they're very very good. They, they, when I used to go uh, back in the day, it wasn't a great. It was an okay atmosphere, but you know, it was just like any other place. But they really raise the temperature, and they're well known. They 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 make it a good. A good atmosphere and make it quite intimidating for for visiting players
1: yeah and of course uh, a player that we share in common is Michi batchway
0: yes indeed yeah well, he's he was pretty good at palace and uh, he didn't do much other than than put the ball in the net which is obviously what you need but <laughs> he's, yeah he, he had they had some good performances at palace on loan as he was he's been on loan quite a lot hasn't he everywhere and he's a lovely bloke as well i know i've interviewed him before
1: Oh, you've interviewed him that's pretty decent i would imagine that working for the guardian you get to interview some very very cool people and you're a really good writer and um, i really enjoy your work so it's an honor to um, be talking to you today thanks very much um, very, very kind of you yeah and before i mention it i actually worked with the cameroon um, football federation and uh, roger miller the sports minister at the london 2012 olympics so oh, wow. talking about that cameroon team it was pretty cool he gave me a signed cameroon flag fantastic um, oh
0: <laughs> yeah i mean he uh, Absolute legend. Didn't you know? He didn't play in in England, but I think that that he really opened the door. Especially Roger Miller opened the door for a lot of uh, African players to come to England because if you look at the the way things changed after that World Cup. It was a, a, a sudden explosion of African players, and now you see how many African players there are in Premier League. And that, that I was a turning point.
1: I couldn't agree more. Um, I couldn't agree more. Um, so yeah, um, onwards and upwards. Um, and, um, we're here to talk about the, um, the appointment of an independent regulator for the English game. Um, and also the, uh, fan review, which has now led to a white paper, um, which the government is making recommendations, a policy paper, basically, um, to reform, um, how football is governed in England. Um, I guess, really, I mean, um, the kind of key issues are financial s- sustainability. Obviously, we're both aware that, um, you know, a number of clubs have um, failed in recent years. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, berry uh, one of them. Um, And um, yeah, essentially, it's been a very tough time. Um, I mean, a a lot of money has flown into the English game, um, particularly from the United States, but also at the same time um, from the Middle East and other regions. Um, And there's been a particularly poor history of sustainability. Um, A couple of years ago, uh, we had um, the uh, former chairman, Ian McInnes, of Portsmouth FC on the show. Um, They did the fan takeover. They bought the club and then sold it out to Michael Eisner. And he was talking about um, basically how they, you know, saved Portsmouth FC from the Ruins, a four-time English champion. And uh, it was a really inspiring story. Um, And, um, yeah, from a German perspective, um, I guess, you know, you can see that... um, German 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 business let's say including football is quite um, regulated and quite um heavily managed and um there are obviously things like licensing stipulations and other things that um it does you know the 50 plus 1 rule means that basically german clubs are um, a majority fan owned in the case of freiburg for example who are in the top 6 um currently they are 100% fan owned um and um, only four clubs in Germany: RB Leipzig, Wolfsburg, uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Um, uh, oh God, I can't even think of the fourth one now. Are are actually um, corporate owned, if you like? Hoffenheim, I think, would be the fourth. Hoffenheim. One. I was going to say.
0: I was thinking, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But there's there's a there's a small loophole, isn't there? That that, that those clubs you mentioned have, have taken advantage of. I, I can't remember the details of it.
1: Exactly right. Yeah, exactly in terms
0: right. Of, I, I think it's something to do with the company that. Especially with Hoffenheim, I don't want to get this wrong, but you know, the company, the whole the the, the holding company is yeah. separate. So that yeah, that's like circumventing slightly the the regulations, maybe.
1: Spot on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, essentially a lot of those clubs have come from the lower leagues and have been built up by the investments of billionaires and investors such as um RB Red Bull at um RB Leipzig took a seventh-tier club, or um SAP yeah. Zinsheim is just a village in the southwest of Germany. And the SAP owner, uh Deep Mahop, built the football club up. Um, and uh, yeah, and they take on Borussia Dortmund this weekend, um, obviously opposite ends of the table. But um essentially, um, what a lot of English fans have, you know, that have been attracted to Borussia Dortmund over the last 10 years and have basically come through our fan club and gone to the Westfalenstadion Stadion or Zignali Duna Park as it's commercially known have been attracted to, in my opinion at least, one of the things is the fact that German football makes a profit. Very few clubs are in debt. Ticket cheap prices are very cheap, and yet they're still highly competitive in terms of the national team in many ways as a cut above England in many ways in terms of titles that they've won, perhaps not in recent years. But the Bundesliga is very, very well managed and um it produces great local talent. And seventy percent of the players in the Bundesliga are actually German um players. And you know, clubs like um Union Berlin have, you know, up to sixty percent of their players will be academy players. Um Dortmund also has a very proud history of academy players. So I guess you know, it's an easy thing to be promoting something like a Borussia Dortmund fan club or Bundesliga, which I do daily here in the UK. Um, firstly, I mean, what are your observations about um about the Bundesliga, how it's run? What are the things that um attract you or you find um, you know, are those the kind of things that 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 you would emphasize in terms of the quality of Bundesliga?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very important and I th- I'm I'm very interested to see how. This works in Germany. It seems like, you know, club, you mentioned Freiburg, Freiburg as well. And, and obviously Dortmund, a great example of how, how fan ownership or, or how the model, anyway, can work in, in tandem. Because in the UK, there's been some quite a few examples of, well, lower down the, the pyramid, anyway, where, where it hasn't worked very well. And I think people are a little bit dubious about the, the possibility of actually, you know, making this, this theory that fans can own the club work. But um, in, in Germany, certainly there's 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 a safeguard against any potential dangerous investors, if you put it that way, because, you know, it's a little bit of an open house at the moment, really, in in the Premier League especially, and, and, and we're seeing a lot of investment flowing at the moment from all around the world, obviously, and we'll probably talk about that later. But um, whereas Germany kind of has that safeguard against it. But at the same time, you know, it's become, and, uh, you know... It, lots of um fans around around europe are having to go through this that domestic leagues are 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 enthralled to the premier league now it's just for financial reasons you know like teams like bournemouth and fulham and yeah lower lower down the premier league are out out spending big european clubs just across the board and it's um it's it's unprecedented and and, uh, if i was um if I was a, a, a fan of a club from, uh, you know, Germany or Italy or, Spain, or maybe not Spain, but Spain is the same. If you're not a fan of the big yep. two or, or any 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 of other Europe's other big leagues or not so big leagues, you know, Ajax fans, for example, mm. I, I'd be a little bit worried about this. And I, I think it's it's not really, not really right that it's going in this direction. That one country is hoarding all the players, and you know, it's like. Yes. So, I, I think it's good that that, um, that Germany has these regulations because it's, it's quite. I'm pretty worried about the future for English football and and uh, I welcome the in the uh, yes. future appointment of the regulator because it's going to be a couple of years before they they're actually going to be appointed and I'm a bit dubious as well to see how much power they will have but I think it's it's a step in the right direction and and something that we that we really need because otherwise it's 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 sort of spiraling out of control, and, and, you know, states getting involved in football is not not something that that I'm a big fan of. Now time for a short announcement. If you love Borussia Dortmund, why not join us for a live game and have a couple of Dortmund Union beers at the Stamptich meetup of the official Borussia Dortmund fan club in London. We meet on match days at the Fitzroy Wine Cellar on Cleveland Street. For more details, head to our Facebook page or give us a call. On 07459 394 121 and now back to the show.
1: Yeah, I can understand that, and I mean, essentially, in my case, for example, for the last ten years, I've been a, a member, one of hundred and eighty thousand members of Borussia Dortmund, and we pay uh, seventy pounds a year to be a member. And that gives us voting rights and so on over the club. So, in addition to that, Dortmund uh, and Unterhaching are also um uh, third tier club are also stock market quoted, um which gives you slightly less leverage over the club. But essentially, the big clubs like Bayern has quarter of a million members. schalke has two hundred thousand members, Dortmund one hundred and eighty thousand as I mentioned. so and so on, and Freiburg down to Freiburg has about twenty thousand members. So essentially, I mean, the way it works in, in Germany is that um, you, you simply become a member, card holding member, and you you get to vote on big decisions like, for example, Dortmund introducing the women's um, football um, department um, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the issues, um, how should I say, a lot of the important cultural things, for example, the color, the, the badge, the name of the club, where they're located and other things are just anchored into the constitution of the club if you like and so can't essentially be changed per se um unless all unless a majority of the um of uh, the fans actually vote for that so let's say yeah, i example,
0: mean uh, i was going to say you just reminded me of something i don't know if you remember a few years ago a car yeah. uh they were bought by uh i think uh, by a malaysian businessman Vincent decided, Tan. yeah vincent yeah. tan he decided that he wanted to change their colors from blue to red because yeah Unlucky, you know, and that and that, thats the sort of thing that couldn't happen in Germany, isn't it? You're saying it's really interesting. um It is. Whereas, you know, he had a big fan backlash, and it's a couple of seasons for them to revert back to their their colours. So,
1: absolutely, yeah, that's, that's and I believe. Happen. I believe he changed the crest from the bluebirds to to a, a Welsh dragon, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Well. Yeah, it was all about branding,
0: really. Which is the way that a lot of these investors look at it, when because it? it is an investment for them, obviously. So.
1: Absolutely right. And talking about investments, I mean, as you as you pointed out before the show off air, um, there have been investments, um, uh, into into the German game. to Berlin have had an investment from Seven 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 Partners in Miami, an American investor. Um, Augsburg, uh, as we talked about yesterday, have also had an investment uh, from the states. Um, and so, yeah, German clubs are starting to attract this American uh, venture capital as well. But the, the Germans tend to take a bit of a dim view when it comes to um takeovers and and, and and basically what they perceive as kind of vulture capitalists, if you like. And I mean there have been plenty of examples of clubs um essentially being taken over in England by companies that essentially asset stripped the football clubs and did things like sell off the um stadiums to build um, you know, parking lots or supermarkets or other things. And um I think Wrexham was one of them. Um, who've obviously benefited from the takeover by so essentially um, what we've seen. I mean, when did the big money start flowing into the English football? It was probably about nineteen ninety. Uh, it was in the mid nineties, really, with with Sky, wasn't it? it was Sky? Um, yeah, um,
0: I think. Well, I think there's two sort of distinct eras, really. The first era the first eleven years of expansion and catching up with a lot of other European leagues that they were a bit behind, actually. I think. But yeah. Then, yeah, and and and. Uh, you know, the, the arrival of African players was part of this as well, but not just African players, but players from all over the
1: world. Big money signings,
0: but yeah. But then, but then the second, you know, and that that took you up to sort of the, the turn of the millennium. But then the arrival of Roman Abramovich, I think that was the, the sort of the the second era that we're, you know, well, we've, we've, we've it's a whole generation on from that now. But this is the sort of legacy of that. I think opening the door to um, a Russian oligarch. And which transformed the, the landscape of English football in terms of spending. Other yeah. clubs are trying to catch up, and then now you're seeing you know all the all kinds of different investors from you know like we mentioned before states from well Qatar wanting to buy Manchester United and Abu Dhabi owning Manchester City, uh, and then and then also lots of American investors who um, well we've we've had a few already that came on the heels of Abramovich you know Liverpool and Manchester United who were. Uh, based yeah. on debt buying the club on on debt and then you know and, and <laughs> taking taking their, their their money out that way but not really investing that much in the clubs but now it's a new era of investors who want to put money into the club in order to achieve success because they know that's gonna that's gonna make them even more money so yeah. it's it, whereas, whereas there was a bit of an era of football clubs wouldn't make you money it was a you know it was it was a you know, like with Abramovich, a sugar daddy kind of relationship. Absolutely. Um It, it wasn't really a money-making possibility, even, even though they were still getting lots of cash from the Premier League every year from from TV deals, but now things yeah. have just accelerated and they're getting so much money, so much more money than the rest of Europe that um, it's the only place to be. And, you know, somebody like Bill Foley, who, who bought Bournemouth recently, yes. American uh, businessman who set up um franchise uh uh, ice hockey franchise in las vegas Mm -hmm. and and, uh you know now wants to invest in in football he decided to buy bournemouth because they're in the premier league and it's uh, in a lovely part of the country in in the uk if anybody knows that that area it's not you know near the coast and everything like that um he's got big plans for them and it's because of the fact that they're in the premier league and it's the most popular league in the world as they as they always uh, market it as.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, it is beautiful. And I was down there when they played Real Betis in a, in a um friendly game um two years ago, the red and blacks down there. It's a beautiful city and um um as you say, um the owner of the um Vegas Golden Knights is definitely putting money into the club now. And it'd be great to see them. I also interviewed Mark Pugh. I don't know if you remember Mark oh, yeah. Pew but...
0: Yeah he was a good player, a left winger.
1: Is good, very good player, yeah, and a good, good man as well. Really nice guy. Um, obviously, um, great pleasure for me to get the chance to interview him. Um, so essentially, one of the things I was interviewing um, Vinny Samways um, not too long oh, yeah. ago. Do you remember Vinny Samways? I do very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: He had a great history with Tottenham. Yeah, he was a huge fan. He brought up in the East End and lifelong um, Spurs fan and massive. Uh, yeah, just um, yeah, a massive football legend for me. I mean, we we did a show about London football clubs, which was really enjoyable. And um, he was saying that for him, the Bundesliga now is somewhat reminiscent of um, English football in the 1990s. Would you concur with that?
0: Yeah, I can see what he means, actually. Yeah, because it, the similar sort of proportion numbers, like you said earlier, 70%, that was probably around, the you know, it was the first influx of um, of foreign players. Uh, into the premier because you know before that we, i think in germany you've had to, you've had foreign players for not many years like you know even before the 90s but in the in the uk it was a real rarity to have anybody from outside uh you know the british isles at that yep. stage and things and things changed but i can see what he means actually yeah it's more there's there's le- there was a lot less superstars than there are now and um you know and I think things were quite. It was a bit more un- unpredictable. Like you're seeing this season in the Bundesliga. What a great season it's been for the, the top, especially. You know, so many, so many teams involved in the title race.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Union Berlin, Freiburg, Bayern, of course, as ever, and Borussia Dortmund right up there. And it's a bit reminiscent of of, of the English Premier League in recent seasons. So well, just I was going to say
0: back in the sorry back in the day, I remember Norwich and Coventry one season. I think this was a bit earlier, but sort of 1993. Yeah. That they were they were up there for most of the season, and I think Norwich came third in the end. And even just before that, my own Crystal Palace managed to come third in 1991 when they when they had he Wright for a bit, and uh, well, only only at the start of the season. But it's yeah, I mean, I know that Leicester won the league in 2016, but it's very rare that any you have any surprise results in, in the Premier League these days.
1: Absolutely right, yeah. I was going to say that the media money that Bayern München and Borussia Dortmund get, Bayern being the most its highest recipient, is equivalent to um, a bottom five club in the Premier League. So... Yeah. Um, so essentially, um, a lot of the money um, you know, comes from corporate su- supporters and also basically of which they have vast numbers. I mean, Dortmund has about 300 corporate supporters um, and also the members as well, which brings quite a chunk of money and media money as well. But um, it's, it's much, much, much smaller numbers and the salaries are much lower. And, um, you know, likewise, the ticket prices can be as much as a quarter of the price here in England or, you know, or thereabouts, as you know. So yeah. essentially, tell me.
0: <laughs> but that's really that's really important, you know. And, and the atmosphere. I, I, I've been I had the pleasure of going to the stadium a couple of times. Nice. And it's an amazing, amazing atmosphere. My first time actually was during the World Cup in two
1: thousand six. Nice. I was, was there. Yeah.
0: Was a great. A great experience. The whole thing. But um, I saw Togo v. Switzerland. Nice. In, in that World Cup, and, and just. It was an amazing atmosphere. Just, uh, I, I love the steep, um, the steep stands, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah really, really, good. And, and I've had the pleasure of going a couple of times to interview, uh, Jaden Sancho and, and Jude Bellingham on different <laughs> occasions, uh, which was great. And you know, Dortmund always, always really look after you in terms of when you, when you're press. It was a very good uh, experience, and you know, they showed us around the ground a little bit as well. And yeah, I'm sure that we were very looked after. It was great.
1: Yeah. I remember that 2006 team, if I'm not mistaken, Liverpool player, Philip Dagan, um, was part of the team. And, um, we had him on the podcast. We 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 to invite legends onto the podcast and uh, and also legendary journalists. So fantastic to have you here and um thank you for, for you know for your insights. And so looking at the football scene, so essentially the Bundesliga and the Premier League are in different galaxies, um, really, I mean, in terms of money, and obviously, you know, I mean, for the frustration of a, of a German football fan, let's say, or fan of German League, is that essentially the English clubs, any English club, probably from the top top five clubs. In the championship up to the top of the Premier League can poach um um German players, Bundesliga players at any time. I mean, we've seen a lot of you know guys like Kai Havertz, Robin Koch, and so on, um Timo Werner and so on, but even much, much smaller um, you know, um uh, clubs have, have picked up a lot of German talent like Christoph Zimmerman at um, Norwich City and um and, and Norwich at one point had up to 12 um German players so. Essentially, the higher wages here in England are what are attracting people. But what I would like to try and understand from you is, do you feel that um, it's sustainable, the English game? Because what this white paper essentially is looking at, amongst others, is things like um, the the issues that we've discussed. So fan engagement, um, suitability of the owners of the club, and also financial sustainability. Um, And I mean, how sustainable do you feel? I mean... Um, The English game actually is at this present time because we've seen 50 clubs um, go bankrupt in the last 20 years. And I mean, you talked about Chelsea FC. I mean, Ken Bates sold that club for a pound to Roman Abramovich in 2003, plus 140 million in debts. But it was now sold to Todd Bowley for two and a half billion and you know it's kind of it's kind of ex- astonishing, really, to to see how a club that essentially hadn't won, had only won two titles um, between nineteen o five and nineteen ninety six, um, could suddenly be worth, you know, essentially on the back of twenty years of of of, of accomplishments, could be worth, um, you know, <laughs> go from a quid to two two yeah. and a half billion. I well, mean, it doesn't feel sustainable.
0: Well, that's the thing that's really that's. Really accelerated in the last few years, whereas, you know before, like owning a football club wasn't a way of making money. Yeah, but you know, like it or not, it seems that that these clubs aren't making these people money that, that they must be because they're paying. Well, they they think that they're going to anyway. And whether that they're right or not, I suppose time will tell. But the yeah. fact that you have lots of other investors now, um, especially the American ones, I don't think they they would be. Wanting to put money in, spend this much money, like somebody like Todd Bodie, I don't think he wants to spend all of this money to just to help Chelsea. He wants to, he wants to make money. So that's yeah. what makes me think that well, that they definitely think that they, that they are going to make money out of this, so it is sustainable. But um, I know what you mean. But everybody keeps saying that the bubble will burst. The bubble will burst with football, but it just keeps getting bigger, especially mm-hmm. in the UK. And you can forgive, you, you can forgive some of the clubs for thinking that it might never end. And I think that they're probably quite worried that this regulator may may stymie their progress at some point. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's a, that's that's on the horizon at the moment. Unfortunately for the rest of Europe, it just it's just a behemoth, isn't it? Like it's just s- steamrolling everything out of its way. And unless there's a, a super league, a European super league, which you know there could well be at some point, um, I think the Premier League is just going continue to go from strength to strength as it, the trajectory as it, as it seems at the moment because everybody wants to watch. It's easier for, for a global audience to watch one league, isn't it? If every, if everybody's there and they can watch it every week, it suits their, It suits the market, if you know what I mean. Like it's like a Netflix series or something. You don't have to flick around from the Bundesligas and Syria and La Liga to watch the best players in the world. You just go and watch the Premier League. Yeah. So from a product yeah. point of view, that's what the the investors are thinking yeah and then there's the other side of it which is the state owned thing which is different they they, they obviously don't care about making money out of it you know they're in it for different reasons yeah um, <laughs> Political reasons. yeah that's another debate completely I think um and hopefully the regulator will stop well they'll they'll have lines that would be drawn to stop those sort of people coming in but apparently it wouldn't a regulator would not stop the story that my colleague did today that, um, you know, if Qatar wanted to buy into Manchester United, it, the regulator wouldn't easily be able to stop them. So,
1: yeah, but but on the other hand, of course, um, you know, sixty percent of English clubs are, are in debt. There's two and a half billion pounds worth of debt in the English game. Yeah, um, which contrasts massively. I okay, mean,
0: yeah. you know, well, I mean, I'm talking. I was talking. Yeah, I was talking very much about the, the top of the, the top of the game, obviously. Yeah, but I think, and this is a big thing that the White Paper is really very keen on sorting out. And we saw during COVID that there was some issues actually about this the Premier League, you know, not wanting to share the wealth, but that's, that is something that they're really trying to nail down like a more of a, a filter system. Yeah. That, you know, but, but yeah, I agree with you. The danger is that it's the ones that are chasing the the Premier League that they're in real danger. I mean, this is what happened with Derby. I did a few stories about Derby, you know, they, sold the, the owners sold the ground and you know Beautiful they, they, they basically chased the, the dream you remember Leeds back in the day
1: Leeds 2001 2002 yeah were who actually cited Leeds in down. the white
0: paper that the Leeds example of what happened is how things can go wrong yeah you know, they were a great team um part bought but part you know molded and young players that they happen to have but had yeah. a couple of great seasons got to the semi-final of the Champions League and then it all you know they they, they, over, they overreached and, spent 20 years in the championship and even lower um but yeah so that's that is the danger and i think that there's nothing really unless that, that they sort out more a, a better system which and there's no you know parachute payments is not a great there's a lot of opponents to that yeah uh, and you look you look like you mentioned norwich and they're not having a great season but they can still manage to get promoted and then burnley are going to get promoted and sheffield united they're going to get promoted so it's all the teams that they're dominating the championship that have been in the Premier League. Indeed, and it's kind of like you know a, a vicious circle. Of
1: yeah, and certain still-
0: clubs can get promoted, and then the ones that are just outside that, like teams like Forest and Leeds, who were managed to crack it now, but they're forever chasing their tails and chasing the dream, and that's they're in a really dangerous situation because yeah, it so much to be in the Premier League.
1: Absolutely right. Yeah. And indeed, some of those clubs you mentioned are benefiting from parachute payments, which are one of the key issues that a lot of cl- clubs feel resentful for. And indeed, that's not a feature of the German game. So in essence, we've looked at the financial sustainability. We've talked about um, rogue directors, um, and of which Portsmouth FC saw a number of them. I'm not going to mention um, the names, but um, they were well known at the time. And the club was just basically exploited. English clubs have been exploited over the years. Um, One of the features of German football is this issue of fan engagement, which has certainly arisen. I was one of the people to give evidence to the DCMS in the fan review, talking about the Bundesliga and about how Borussia Dortmund work and how they treat their fans. I mean, Dortmund has a season ticket that costs, you know, on average from 130 euros a season for a, a, a handicapped person to... Oh, I think uh, up to about five six hundred euros for a VIP seat, which contrasts very badly to a club like um Arsenal, for example, which is, you know, where you're paying three thousand pounds um you know plus, plus 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 for season tickets, um, in Germany um for example, a player like Marco Royce, who I think could easily be a Premier League player, is earning fifteen million a season. I mean you know, a ticket price for a Champions League game like the Chelsea game was €25. Euros. Um, I'm being asked to pay um, £60 pounds at Stamford Bridge uh, in a week's time um, to watch the uh, Champions League um, quarterfinal. Um, do you feel, do you agree, Ed, that basically um, the issue of... You know the the clubs being anchored into the community, the clubs being a community asset, the clubs being affordable, and football being you know a people's game. You know, being very much something which should be accessible for every man. I mean, that's kind of perhaps something where English football's come unstuck uh, in the modern era.
0: Yeah, I agree, and that's yeah that 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 is often the, uh, the people who get squeezed, isn't it? The football fans um, they. There's been quite a good campaign about for for away fans to only pay twenty pounds in England, but I know that in Champions League that doesn't that doesn't apply, and there's been this this issue before. Uh, but yeah, there is there is a price cap for away fans in the Premier League now, so they they at least hit hit back on that. But yeah, I mean, it's so important to have full stadiums, but it, again, it's it's that supply and demand thing, and the Premier League is you know I, I'm a Crystal Palace fan, and I know. <laughs> That they're that they're a Premier League club and everything, but back in the day, it was no you, you could almost turn up on the day and get a ticket. These days, you have to be a member and you have to book it well in advance to have a, a chance of getting any sort of ticket. And I mean, for this Liverpool game coming up for the weekend, it's you know yeah you've got no chance basically because everybody wants to go and watch Liverpool. Yeah, so it, things have really changed in that respect. I think and and there's the fan there's so many fans out there that the clubs can they, they, you know they can they know what they can afford to charge and. Yeah, and almost get away with it yeah and they a- do get away with it not almost they, they <laughs> and the other thing to say the other one that really annoys me um is the the kits there used to be a big furore about how they were changing kits every season or that you know um one of the three kits would change every season now every season they change all three kits or some some clubs even have four yes yeah yeah so it's that that is really not on I don't think I mean especially how much they cost these days I mean I haven't bought one for years but yeah talking up to 100 euros I think I know. and that's the
1: same in Germany um indeed yeah. I mean I have to highlight Forest Green Rovers um introducing a, a bamboo kit um yeah. this season I think is really admirable
0: mm. yeah well their owner's got lots of good ideas and uh yeah <laughs> It's often treated with a lot of cynicism in the UK, you know, that sort of attitude that I'm sure you're used to if you live here. But I do. Yeah, but it's good. Those sort of things are good. I think there's a bit more awareness about the environment coming into football now, but yeah, maybe not at FIFA where they're, you know, making all these teams fly to New Zealand to play a tournament for qualifying for the World Cup.
1: Absolutely right. And I, I feel there are basically too many tournaments and that's part of the issue. And I, I mean, uh, I've often wondered why the League Cup still exists, but may I be forgiven for <laughs> by any English purists who think that it's <laughs> it's something uh, very special?
0: It's got a certain charm. I mean, <laughs> I think if, if Crystal Palace have never won a trophy, by the way, but if we won that, I would be very, very happy. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've got to the FA Cup final twice and lost, so that would be... That would be the one to win, really. I think we find a choice.
1: Let's just yeah. finally talk about the financial distribution of money. Basically, I mean, um, how does it work in the UK and what will the regulator make? Um, I mean, you know, I think that's a really, really important issue
0: in terms of the regulation. Yeah, so they, they, they're, they're similar. I think that I mean, if you spoke to them, um, as part of the uh, the consultation, then I'm it sounds like they've taken a lot of this on board because it's in a similar model, really, that the regulator is going to ensure that every club has to have a license which is a key thing it's a safeguard against them leaving basically to go to the to european super league well that's the, that, that's the idea anyway mm. so yeah having to have a license and in that way they can control them um you know in theory um and and then also yeah so making sure that they have they're not spending beyond their means um that they're fit and proper custodians and they're keeping the fan interests at heart um, mm. but yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to, to know because it's so new for us, but, um, it, like I said before, it's, it's a good idea in theory, but it's whether they've got the, I don't know whether they've got the, the real resolve to to, to to push this through and like make it a, a real serious organization or, or somebody you could, you know, it's something that has teeth um but you know the government i think it is it is needed because like i said we're not sure where this might end otherwise i think having having some sort of of safeguard against it is going to be important
1: yeah absolutely agree with you um ed if people want to reach you on social media where can we reach you
0: uh i'm on twitter mainly uh ed underscore aaron's um i am on instagram as well but ed aaron's guardian but i'm i don't really post that much these nice days. One. but you know, every now and then, when something interesting happens. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Borussia,